I want you to think about a time that you felt like God was calling you to do something, to go somewhere maybe. Maybe it's a job change, maybe a, a call uh, to be involved in ministry of some type. Maybe it's God prompting you to, to give to some particular need. Uh, I want you to think back to a time when you, when you felt like God was calling you. Now, I'm always hesitant to, to say things like, God told me this, or God is calling me uh, to do this, because I, I've seen uh, many times when people have convinced themselves that God was calling them to do something, when it was really them who wanted to do it, and, and if they, uh, they felt like it would uh, just help their case if they said that God was the one calling them, because who can argue with that? Uh, I, I knew someone who, it seemed like every few months, uh, God was just really leading them or calling them to, to something. And then when the going would get tough, when it would get challenging, uh, suddenly God would be calling them to abandon that and to go in a different direction. It can be hard for, uh, for pastors sometimes when people uh, come in the office and say, I, I really feel like God is calling me to, or telling me to, fill in the blank. Because we've, uh, most pastors have heard uh, that line. We've heard people say, I know the Bible says this, but I really feel like God wants me to whatever. Uh, our text today consists of God calling someone. God telling someone to do something, specifically to leave their country, their extended family, their home, all that they knew, and just to simply follow God's leading to some place that they had never been. Not only that, but, but God won't even tell them where they're supposed to go. He just says, go. If you've been following along in our sermon series in Genesis, you know that the, the someone that I'm talking about is Abram. Just to clear up any confusion beforehand, Abram is the same guy that we usually call Abraham. In chapter 17 of Genesis, we'll see that God will change Abram's name to Abraham. Uh, so it's possible I might use the names interchangeably today, but at this point in the story, he is still Abram. The account of Abram's call, the significance of today's text in the biblical story cannot be overstated. It cannot be exaggerated. This text, in many ways, marks the beginning of God's plan and action to rescue and to redeem and to save and to bless the world. Everything that's come before it in Genesis is sort of the, the prologue to the redemptive story. And now God is acting to set apart one particular group of people through whom he will carry out his rescue mission. Through whom he will act to reverse all that's been destroyed by sin and rebellion. So I would invite you to stand, if you're able, as I read our sermon text for today from Genesis chapter 12. We'll start reading in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. This is God's word to us. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, 
and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Let's pray. God, your word is living and active, it is good, and it is true. We pray that you would speak to us by your word. May it bear fruit in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we think about these uh, words, these living words, about God's call and promises to Abram, I want to share with you today four observations. The first one is this, that God alone calls sinners to faith. Look at verse 1 of our text. The Lord said to Abram, much will be made about the faith of Abram in the chapters uh, of scripture that follow and, and really throughout the entirety of the Bible. Uh, Much is made about Abram's faith. The New Testament itself is full of references to Abram and uh, sort of commendations of his great faith. For example, in the Gospel of John, uh, in Galatians, Romans, James, Hebrews, and probably uh, elsewhere, uh, much is made about Abram's great faith. But but it's so important that that we recognize that it is God alone who calls sinners to believe. We don't set out in search of God and find him on our own. We don't wake up one day and decide to be more spiritual, decide to have faith in God. That's not how it it works. Think about what we know about Abram's history. Abram was the son of Terah, uh, who was a descendant of Shem. If you are to go back A few weeks in our sermon series, you'd remember I talked quite a bit about Shem, the son of Noah. Uh, But one thing that we find out is that somewhere along the way, the people had turned from worshiping the Lord and began worshiping other gods. They had turned away from the Lord. Joshua chapter 24 sort of recounts this history for us. It includes, in, in Joshua 24, we find Terah's name in the list of those who were worshiping false gods. Terah was an idolater. Jewish history actually tells us a little bit more than that. Jewish tradition teaches that that Terah 
uh, not only worshipped false gods, but actually made his living by crafting and fashioning idols. He was an idol maker for a living. And after generations of people turning away from the Lord, worshiping false gods, God calls Abram, the son of an idol crafter, uh, to turn, to, to, to trust, to believe in, in him. Uh, we know that they were living in the land of Ur, which is in Mesopotamia. If you remember, the, the, I talked about a couple weeks ago, the, the Fertile Crescent uh, in, in modern-day Iraq. Uh, they moved from there northwest to Haran. We heard that, that uh, city mentioned in our text. Haran is uh, right on the border of modern-day Turkey and Syria. We don't get all the details. Uh, this is a, there's a lot that happens here that's just sort of glossed over. We, we don't know if uh, there was maybe a remnant of faithful believers in Haran. We don't know if God uh, sent someone from the outside to intervene to to share the hope of the one true God with Abram. All that we get is a a fairly vague account of God speaking, of God promising, of God calling, and Abram receiving and believing and going. God calls Abram out of idolatry, out of unbelief, and promises him blessing. And, And this is true for anyone who is a believer today. If you are a Christian today, you are so because God acted first, because God spoke first, because God called you, not because of your own spiritual sensitivity or initiative. In Luther's small catechism, uh, we, we, we hear these words, and I, I love these words. It says, I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, Or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel. Or as Jesus himself said in John chapter 6 verse 44. No one can come to the Father. Or sorry, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. Or as Paul proclaimed in Romans chapter 1. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. God alone calls sinners, compels sinners, nudges sinners to faith in him. He he calls us to believe. For, For Abraham and for us, God is the initiator of our faith. He is the author of our faith. He alone calls. The second observation I want to make from our text today is this. That Abram's obedience is a product of God's promises. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but there's this theme of repetition in our text for today, particularly in verses 1 through 3. And in this repetition, we find God making promises. It's all around this phrase that God repeats over and over, I will. So in verse 1, for example, the land I will show you. Verse, uh, in the following verses, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And then all the way down in verse 7, to your offspring, I will give this land. God desires good for his people. He desires 
blessing. And he promises that blessing to Abram. Now, it's important to note that this isn't, this isn't blessing without any trials. Abram would, would, would encounter plenty of trials in his lifetime. God never promised a, a smooth road, no challenges, no pain, no struggle in life. It wasn't true for Abram, and it's not true for us. The, the idea of God's blessing in these texts can't be separated from his promise to save and to redeem. The words salvation and redemption are, are baked into the substance of what it means when God promises to bless. Think about this. The, the greatest possible blessing for humanity is not prosperity or good health or favor among other human beings. The greatest blessing is eternal peace in eternal hope and eternal life. That the promise of salvation and peace with God is the greatest blessing that we could receive. And so, so we have to be careful that we don't, when we think about this blessing that God promises to Abraham, that we don't Americanize it too much. That we don't make it about material things. That we don't make it sort of a token, I feel so blessed response that many of us have when things go right in life. God's use of blessing certainly includes this life. It includes here today, but it always has its focus. It always has, has its eyes focused upon eternity. And it's this fuller picture of what it means when God promises blessing that sort of sets the stage for, for a discussion about Abraham's obedience to the Lord. There's a there's a direct connection between God's promises and Abram's obedience. We can't miss this in our text. God, and you, need, you need to hear this, God doesn't promise because Abram obeyed. Abram obeyed because God promised. It is such an essential understanding for our text and really for the rest of the scriptures. God makes all sorts of promises to Abram and ultimately to us, and all of his promises are true. God doesn't promise because Abram obeyed. Abram obeyed because God promised. God said, go, and Abram went because God had called him out of idolatry, had set him free, had given him the gift of faith. And because God promised eternal blessing to him. If we miss this, we're, we're likely to misunderstand much of the remainder of Scripture. God doesn't promise because Abram obeyed. Abram obeyed because God promised. O obedience to God isn't a way for us to store up merit to keep God happy with us. O obedience is a response to the goodness and the blessing and the promise of God. Or think of it inversely. Think of it this way. Disobedience is a product of unbelief, of doubting the gospel. Think back to the first disobedience that we see in the scriptures. Adam and Eve disobeying God. What, what, was, what was the source of that disobedience? Unbelief. That they didn't believe 
the promises of God. They didn't believe what God had said. Disobedience is a product of doubting the gospel, of not truly believing that God is good, that God loves us, or not really believing that he knows best, that he wants best for us. Disobedience is a product of not believing the promises of God. Abram's obedience is a product of God's promise. The third observation I want to make today is this. Obedience to the Lord is never just intellectual or theoretical. Notice what Abraham did in our text. We see three examples. Verse 4 is the first one. It says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Verse 7, so he built an altar there to the Lord. Verse 8, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. If God's promises and if our salvation is not contingent upon obedience, then we have a, we have a tendency to, to start thinking that obedience isn't all that important. If God saves us, if God rescues us and delivers us apart from our obedience, then as human beings, we have a tendency to start thinking that maybe obedience isn't such a big deal and nothing could be further from the truth. Because God promised all that he promised, Abram responded in obedient action and worship. You see, many people frame obedience to the Lord or or understand obedience as merely intellectual or sort of theoretical. As if you obeying the Lord is just not sinning in a major way or, or affirming that the Bible is true. But of course, we know that can't be the case. Disobedience can be passive just as much as it is active. Think of it this way, if you're, if you're a parent, some of the most frustrating moments as a parent are not just when your child does something they aren't supposed to do, but when your child doesn't do something that they know they're supposed to do. We've all been there, right? That's why almost any model of confession, the, the ancient confession of sin, includes those words, not, not, not just words about what we have done, but words about what we have left undone. Obedience is not just refraining from, from worshiping false gods. Obedience is not just living a fairly moral life and not doing the big, big bad sins that the world does. Obedience means going when God says go. And we all have that inner lawyer who, who, who dwells within us, right? Who will come up with a long list of all the reasons that we shouldn't. All the reasons that it doesn't make sense. All the reasons that doing what God says for you to do doesn't make financial sense or practical sense, whatever the argument of the day is. You know, I don't know what, what God has been calling you to lately. How he's speaking to you. I don't know if he's calling you to engage more deeply in an area of ministry, to give more generously, to fix that broken relationship, to make that apology that's maybe years overdue. I don't know what God has been 
calling you to, but, but obedience is not just intellectual and theoretical. Obedience always has feet. It's always active. It's not just behavioral. It's not just moral. It means saying yes when God calls. All right, one final observation I want to make today, and that's this. The blessing promised was not just for Abram, but for the world. Look at verse 3 of our text. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There are really two things that require our attention as we think about the intent and the purpose of God's blessing as we see it in our text. So let me close our time today by sharing first a practical lesson and then second by by looking at some, some buried treasure that we see in our passage. The practical lesson first, it's, it's this. Just like Abram, the blessings you have been given are not just for you. God loves you, but you are not worthy of worship, right? Christ died for you, but not that your name might be made great. And all that God has given you is not just for you. And I'm not just talking about the temporal things that we usually think of as blessings. Don't miss the irony that we find in in verse 2 of our text. God promises this. He says, I will make your name great. If we just study chapter 12, we might not understand the irony here, right? But we've heard this language before. What was the goal of the people in Babel when they were building their tower? They wanted to make a name for themselves. And so we have this this irony in chapter 12. God uh, calls Abram out of obscurity uh, from this family of idol worshipers. And he says, I will make your name great. This salvation, this blessing, this grace that God would give, it was not just for Abraham. It was for the world. And and so so there's this practical lesson that we we walk away with today that that the things that God has given us are not just for us. We are given to so that we can give away. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing. God has called you so that through you he can call others. You have a specific set of life experiences. Some of them joyous, some of them heartbreaking and devastating. But if you see your life this way, if you believe this message, that even the devastating experiences can become blessing. Because suddenly they allow you to sit across from someone who's hurting and say, hey, I've been there. Just hang on. Those devastating experiences give you the the empathy. They give you the the street cred to, to be able to speak words of hope and peace and joy in the midst of someone else's devastation. All that you have, all that you have been given, Temporal blessings, life experiences, both good and bad, are not just for 
you and for the world so that the world might know the blessing of God. And then I want to close today with what I referred to as buried treasure. And to be honest, it's not all that buried. I've referred to it already several times in this sermon, but, but the Apostle Paul quotes our text for today in Galatians chapter 3. I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, to, to turn to Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to be reading uh, from Galatians 3, starting in verse 6. It's page 1002 in the Pew Bible that's in front of you. Galatians chapter 3. Listen to what Paul says about our passage today. He says this, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. And this is where he quotes our passage for today. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Quote, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Did you notice that? Paul said that in our passage today, in Genesis chapter 12, God announced or preached the gospel to Abraham when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. Buried within these ancient words from Genesis chapter 12, words from God to Abraham, we have treasure. We have the, the treasure of the gospel. The gospel that announces that, that Abraham was made right with God, not by his obedience, but through faith alone. And the same is true for us. I, I love verse 9. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham. Abraham was made right with God, not because of his obedience, but through faith alone. And the same is true for us. By faith, you go from worshiping idols to building altars of worship to the Lord. By faith, you are included in all that God has promised. By faith, you are made right with God. You see, there's great temptation to make a sermon from Genesis 12 Merely a lesson in obedience. And it happens all the time. If you, if you go on YouTube and, and listen to sermons from Genesis 12, many of them are just lessons in obedience. Many, many sermons have been preached that have ended basically with the charge, okay, now go out and be obedient like Abraham. Interestingly, when propping up Abraham as an example for our obedience... Those sermons usually don't mention the rest of chapter 12. And Abraham fails and sins in a grievous way. Don't get me wrong, obedience is important. And I should preach obedience and I should live obediently and we should all take God's call to obedience seriously. But obedience must always be kept in its proper place. For the Christian, obedience is always a product of God's promises. 
It's never viewed as something that I muster up from within me, but as simply the only right and proper response to all that God has given me in Christ, to all that he has promised me. Obedience is a fruit. It's a product of faith and of the promises of God. That's the whole point that Paul makes in Galatians chapter 3. False teachers were adding to the gospel. They were saying, yeah, you have to believe, but you also have to do this. And Paul says, no, look at, look at Abraham. He believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham grabbed on to the gospel, to the promise that God made when he said, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham held on to that promise. He saw in those words God's promise to rescue and to redeem fallen humanity. Abraham relied on those words. He was trusting in those words that Paul calls the gospel. And so my question today is a simple one. Are you relying on those words as well? Those words that God preached to Abraham that his descendant the Lord Jesus Christ would die for him and for you and for me are you trusting in that simple gospel that glorious good news that says it's not faith plus anything it's faith alone listen to how Paul drives this point home in Galatians chapter 3 Starting in verse 9, he says, So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, for all who rely on works of the law. We might say all who rely on obedience are under a curse. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. Because the righteous will live by faith. And then finally in verse 14 he says this. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. By faith we are recipients of everything that God promised to Abraham in our text for today. We cannot earn our way to redemption and salvation and blessing. We cannot obey our way into his kingdom. We cannot keep our place there through obedience. The righteous will live by faith and faith alone. There is no better good news than this gospel word that God preached to Abraham, that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Do you believe? Let's pray. A gracious and loving God, you have called us out of our sin into a life of blessing 
at least as you understand the word blessing, into a life of abundance and a life that is rooted in eternity. God, when we think about all that you've done for us, we want to obey. The only right and natural response is to live lives of obedience. So we thank you for the truly obedient one. The one who was fully obedient in our place, who died for us so that we might live. We thank you that your word teaches that his perfect obedience is credited to our, to our account, credited to our lives as if we were completely, perfectly obedient. And that it's all by faith. God, help us to believe. And as a response to believing, give us strength to obey. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.